Welcome back. This is Kelly Gregg, G-R-E-G-G of kellygregg.com, and this is podcast number eight, the series of Diet and Health, which is not exactly an audio version of my book, but rather more of a condensed version of the book, which I hope will be useful to most of those who read it. I'm not entirely altruistic, as I'm trying to get you to buy my book, which is available on my website or at Amazon.com, as this is a slightly technical book, and it's much easier to understand if you're actually reading it. Also, some may want to use this as a reference-type book. I'm doing a series of podcasts. Usually they last about 20-25 minutes, as it is somewhat of a technical concept, and I've realized you can't give somebody two information at one time. They just won't remember it. To now, I have talked about the different types of diabetes, which I've named diabetes type 1 through type 4. Now, these are not the usual common names given to these forms of diabetes, but since I'm writing the book, I get to do what I want. I initially talked about food and what it is composed of, that being fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. You got a little biochemistry as to what they are made of, and I gave you an introduction to what happens when you eat food and also what happens when you stop eating food. These next few podcasts are going to be their current state of affairs, what uh, happened in past diets, and what is happening in our modern diet. Again, my ultimate goal is to prevent your developing type 2 diabetes by addressing myself to the food engineer and what is a common maintenance diet that you can be on for a lifetime. I won't give you the actual diet, but I will give you the principles behind the diet such that you can figure it out on your own. Along the way, I may have to talk about the ketogenic diet to those of you who may be obese at the present time, and I may have to talk about the lowered carbohydrate maintenance diet to those of you who may already be afflicted with insulin resistance. I'm going to stick with recorded history, which by that I mean about the last 5,000 years. That should be fine, as our current problems with obesity of diabetes have just occurred in around the last 120 years or so. As we talked about earlier, type 1 diabetes has been recognized and named about 1,500 years ago. So the concept of diabetes is not new. However, the incidence of 40% of obesity, prediabetes, and diabetes is new and has occurred relatively recently. It is also almost invariably associated with the modern Western diet. Now, I'm talking about type 2 diabetes. Juvenile diabetes is associated with all kinds of diets. So we have it that almost half the people in the Western world have some type of diabetes, prediabetes, or type 2 diabetes. Of course, we do have a few cases of type 1 diabetes and of type 3 diabetes, sometimes called LADA, our latent autoimmune diabetes in adults. And we have an indeterminate number of people with type 4 diabetes, which is usually category type 2 diabetes, except in these individuals, they have the same problem as type 1 diabetes, not enough insulin. 
If you're normal, your pancreas can put out as much insulin as you need. Of course, the higher the blood sugar, the more insulin, and the more often the blood sugar goes up, the more total insulin. Normally, you don't get too much insulin unless you have some form of insulin resistance. We discussed this previously, and essentially it means you need more insulin in order to get the same job done. If you were listening to the fine print of the previous chapters, you also know that insulin promotes the fat cells to take in glucose and convert it into fatty acids and hence triglycerides. It also inhibits the fatty cells from going in the other direction, converting the triglycerides into fatty acids and secreting them into the blood. Although I don't believe that it's impossible to get obese without insulin resistance, I do believe the majority of obese individuals have some form of insulin resistance. I guess I shouldn't say some form, but some degree of insulin resistance. Now, this does not happen overnight and may require years to develop. Essentially, you slowly get fat, you slowly get higher insulin levels, then at some point we determine that even though you seem to be making plenty of insulin, your blood sugar is so high that now we have to do something to get it down. We arrived at type 2 diabetes. Once we're at type 2 diabetes, almost all of these individuals will have insulin resistance. If you have prediabetes, you may or may not have insulin resistance, but you're certainly on the way. When you have type 2 diabetes for quite a while, it may end up that your blood sugar and insulin levels have been high enough for long enough that actual damage occurs to the beta cells of the pancreas, and now, despite the high blood sugar, your insulin levels begin to fall and you look like someone who has type 1 diabetes. You have high glucose and low insulin. And at that point, we actually treat you like someone who has type 1 diabetes by giving you insulin replacement. Now for completeness, there is a type 3 diabetes, which is called latent autoimmune diabetes in adults or LADA. These individuals show up as someone who may or may not be overweight and who may exercise regularly but continue to have elevated blood sugar, which remember is the definition of diabetes. This continues despite their best efforts at diet. Something has happened to their beta cells in the pancreas whereby they are slowly decreasing the amount of insulin that's being secreted. Sometimes you can prolong the complete onset of diabetes by different medications and diet therapy, but in the end, they will need insulin just like the type 1 diabetics. I call this type 3 diabetes just to make it look symmetric, and it's only been recognized fully in the last 10 to 20 years. As time goes on, it may be there are more of these type 3 diabetics than there are type 1 diabetics. Like type 1 diabetes, we also believe this is an autoimmune disease. It may just be a delayed onset of what uh, type 1 or juvenile diabetes have gotten, or it may occur by a different triggering mechanism. The bottom line is the beta cells are not being able to produce insulin and you end up with not enough insulin. 
the type 4 diabetics have essentially the same physiology and that something has happened to their beta cells whereby they are simply not putting out enough insulin. Now we have three patients in the office. A skinny 8-year-old, a physically fit 40-year-old, and a fat 65-year-old. They all have diabetes and walk out of the office with the same prescription. The next patient got stabbed in his pancreas by a spear and he walked out of the office with the same prescription. So some people may think this is the end of the book because I told you I was going to give you some knowledge about diabetes and I have. You know the different kinds and you know the problem. They all have elevated blood glucose which is which causes all kinds of problems and they are all treated with insulin replacement. Not really much of a book. But at the very, very beginning, I told you I was using diabetes as an example of a metabolic disease. And in type 2 diabetes, it is a diet gone wrong. I have little to offer the first three patients other than insulin. These patients have type 1, type 3, and type 4 diabetes. Of course, the fourth patient, I can always tell him to remember to wear a breastplate before he goes into battle. However, I may have something to offer those who have type 2 diabetes or those who have obesity and prediabetes and are heading toward type 2 diabetes. At least 80% of the people that we're going to call diabetic have type 2 diabetes. And this is the group whose incidence has been rising over the last 20 or 30 years. Well, to be truthful, the other forms of diabetes also have been rising over the last, let's say, uh, 100 years. And if we look around, we also find that autoimmune diseases in general have been rising during that time period. You may have to hang around till later in the book when we talk about autoimmune disease and diet. So there are not only lots of type 2 diabetics, but they also account for a large portion of our healthcare dollars. Type 2 diabetes often doesn't stand alone, and there are many other diseases associated with the combination of elevated blood glucose levels and elevated insulin levels. So let's look at some numbers, which I am prone to do. Let's say the population of the United States is around 330 million people. The prevalence of obesity is around 40%, which would be 120 million people. Now, all these obese people don't have prediabetes, but about a third of them do. So now we're around 100 million people. And about 10% of that 330 million people do have type 2 diabetes. So now that's about 33 million people. Now, type 1 diabetes is far less. It is about 0.4% of the population, which ends up being around a million people. The incidence of LADA, or type 3 diabetes, is not quite as accurate, but most people think it is between 1 and 2 million people in the United States. There's no way this was the case uh, five, over the last 5,000 years. There certainly were a few cases of juvenile diabetes, 
But before the invention of insulin about 120 years ago, the survival was low, and so they did not make a very high proportion of the population. Throughout history, there have been a few fat people, although not quite as many as there are today, and hence there probably were cases of type 2 diabetes throughout history, mainly in wealthy people. We don't know about type 3 diabetes in history, as these individuals probably did not survive long after they developed a need for insulin, and nobody knew much about type 4 diabetes, as these patients are generally older, and no one was surprised that they happened to die of something. Again, I have little to offer some of these patients, but I wouldn't say I have nothing to offer. If you require insulin to control your blood sugar, then you're going to be counting the carbs in your diet in order to provide the right dosage of insulin. You are going to have to have some type of diet, and these individuals should consider the low-carbohydrate, common-maintenance diet. Of course, I can't prevent type 1 diabetes, and I can't prevent type 3 diabetes, and type 4 diabetes I really don't think I can prevent either, but I may be able to keep you from developing type 2 diabetes. And since that's the biggest chunk of these diabetics, perhaps we can do some good in this world. Okay, that's where we stand right now. I am going to talk about past diets next. I'm not going to review the biochemistry and the things we've talked about thus far, although I will repeat them occasionally throughout the series. But since the title of the book is Diet and Health, I need to spend a little time on diet. So I'm going to move on to the next podcast. I realize this one appears to be pretty short, but if I combined it with the next one, it would be too long. And I don't want anyone to fall asleep behind the wheel if they're listening to this in their car. Remember, I may not be a real doctor, blah, blah, blah. Don't take this as medical advice. I am adding an addendum to this podcast. Those of you who listened to podcast number seven heard me say toward the end that I was not trying to sell you this book. Although my wife does not listen to the podcast... She happened to hear me say that while I was editing it. Therefore, I am now going to tell you I am trying to get you to buy this book. Not only that, I wish all your relatives would buy it also. In fact, everybody should buy uh, several copies of the book. I will be more careful in the future.